the thing about photography is because I'm still fairly new at it, you know, I I don't know that I have the the concern or fear of mastery and competence versus incompetence um, issue around that. I, I just would grab the camera and go out in the world and look, you know, and 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 respond and compose, you know, just looking, reacting, you know, that sort of thing. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 174th episode, I'm very excited to present the work of Joseph Podlesnik. Joe is currently residing in Phoenix, Arizona, where he explores photography, at least in his most recent series over the last couple of years, Explores Photography. He also has a previous body of work exploring drawing and painting, and we're going to talk all about that coming up, so please stay tuned. Of course, if you are finding Studio Break for the very first time, I would encourage you to check out the other interviews that we have on Studio Break. Again, each of the posts that we have have images of the artist's work, links so you can find out more information and check out the artwork on their own websites as well. And, of course, these wonderful interviews where the artists can kind of break down their processes, the things that they research, and all sorts of good stuff. So please check them out. Of course, you can listen right there on the default player, or you could easily elect to listen in iTunes. You can hit that iTunes link, subscribe there, and, of course, follow the podcast that way. Of course, you might also follow along if you are in social media. So once again, we encourage you to like our Facebook page. It just provides a number of updates with these interviews, other opportunities, and things like that. You can follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr, and you can send all of your tweets, all your interesting art and thoughts and whatever to at Studio Break on Twitter. And with that out of the way, here's our interview with Joseph. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Joe Podlesnik. I think I got it right. Yeah. So where are you located? Where Where are you joining us uh, today? I, I, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I, I, I moved here in 2009. Um, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, with uh, five siblings, pretty large Italian-American family. You know, as someone kind of, you know, growing up and um, thinking about art and backgrounds and stuff like that, that's always kind of fascinating to me. And and so I'm I'm kind of curious then as you were growing up, um, you know, did you kind of gravitate towards, you know, making things and, you know, kind of a creative outlook, if you will? Yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. I mean, I didn't really have an artistic or what you might think of as a, an overtly cultured family. So I, I, I can't really talk about how I used to visit the Art Institute of Chicago as a kid or this is something mm-hmm. like that. I, I'm, I vaguely remember visiting the Milwaukee Art Museum in the, in the late 60s. And, and, and all I remember of that is going into this, um, this room that had a strobe light. Um, that's all I remember. And, and my cousins and I in, in this room and we're and we're, we're moving about and because of the the strobe light we appeared to be moving in slow motion but but outside of that I there wasn't really an art related upbringing um, my parents extended family they weren't big readers and that sort of thing so I had early exposure to just very simple schematic drawings that my dad used to make. I had an older cousin that did drawings, and for some reason that caught my attention, and it's something that I I stayed with. I drew from an early age. Um, my sister, who's a year older than me, she told me that my drawings as, as a child um, amazed her, and I don't, I don't really remember that, but... Anyway, I, I, I remember we had a playroom, and I spent a lot of time in there drawing and tinkering with things. Um, I do remember the nuns and the 
my teachers at school used to ask me to draw things for different holidays and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember two other classmates and I in grade school, we used to compete to see who could draw and copy most accurately this picture of St. Joan and Tita that was posted on the classroom wall. So I attended Catholic grade school, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that had an influence on my early years. Mm-hmm. So I, I think early on, David, I gravitated toward things that had an effect. Mm-hmm. Going on the idea that art is concerned with effects, how things affect us, while science concerns itself with causes. I can also say that I was curious about how things work, too, because I used to take my parents' uh, appliances and my siblings' toys apart, much to their consternation, uh, to see what made them work, you know? So I I I had a curiosity about how things work, and also if you made a mark or, or something on, on a page or a, a color, how would that affect me or the, the viewer and that sort of thing? The thing, though, about taking my parents' things apart is I didn't know how to um, put them back together, though. So <laughs> you should have taken pictures. Yeah. <laughs> there were some uh, ramifications, some penalties, I guess, for my uh, – my curiosity, or at least how I practiced it anyway. Well, so what I was going to ask then, you know, kind of, you know, thinking about that experience in terms of kind of growing up, um, you know, and again, it sounds like maybe, I don't know, it sounds like you might have a really interesting uh, story in terms of to coming to art. So I guess, how, how did you how did you come to, to start your, your art degree, uh, or at least kind of think about that as something that you might want to pursue? I've been drawing all through grade school, all through high school. I I, I remember winning a second prize through a wildly surrealistic drawing that I submitted in my junior year, and I won a second prize with with that. The next year, I took some commercial art courses and and just uh, explored that. I took or won some notice by the uh, teacher there the interesting thing is i i i didn't I, I didn't have plans to study art in college i i didn't have plans for college at all actually i i worked for an industrial maintenance company after high school actually um right after high school a, a few months into the job i had a work-related accident. I, I fell about 50 feet. I, I fell probably uh, five stories, and, and I injured my lower leg and my back. And it was after the hospitalization, someone mentioned that I might be able to get my schooling paid for. Mm-hmm. So I I, uh, I chose uh, filmmaking, actually, first, but um, learned through that that at least the way I approached film then it was uh, more of a collaborative art form or, or effort, and and I found that in my twenties um, collaborating with um, students and requesting equipment and that sort of thing, I, I was very very self-conscious about my speech and and I grew to dreading it actually so mm-hmm. so I, I sought refuge out of filmmaking I sought refuge in the um, life of drawing studio where I could draw and paint without the cumbersome intercession of of speech it's interesting because filmmaking seems to require so many different people making contributions in, in small ways and, you know, drawing from life, you know, with something right in front of you seems to be much more reactive and, you know, something that can kind of really explore nuance. And that's, that's really kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, all of, all of the art has to do with mimesis. Gosh, I'm a, I mean, I don't know how trivial and obvious that, that sounds, but a good chunk of art is about mimesis. Um, 
observing something, getting some sense of it, and putting down your impression of what you saw. And it's so interesting. Going back to my grade school experience, I don't know that any of that was on my head because my two friends and I were trying to copy that portrait of a nun on the wall as, as, as closely as we could. So the idea of, of the putting down our own impressions of it and that sort of thing was that that was not really present. It was just about cloning or copying or reliving something as or or re-representing something. It's, it's, it's almost an, an inane Xeroxing in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. I think how I benefited from a formal education is um, I learned to temper that mimetic impulse I, I had. I, I could temper it with ideas with with learning ideas about design do i do want to credit roy barons i'd like to credit him with with that he he was my undergraduate design professor and he was excellent i'll i'll never forget his classes he didn't talk only about design i i, I remember him uh reading wallace stevens um poems and class and that sort of thing. He really ignited my, my interest. In, and it was only years later that I could process all that I learned in, in, in that class. I, I don't know that I did all that well during or or right after the class. It, it, it took years, uh, gosh, uh, um, 10 years mm-hmm. to, to fully digest a, a lot of the things that he taught. I'm kind of interested then. So in terms of visually, you know, what you were making as an undergraduate, did anything kind of, you know, come together like as a BFA student or was that something where you were kind of still finding yourself like a, a lot of artists seem to to spend a lot, a lot of time figuring out what they're what they're all about, you know? Yeah. yeah. Along with Roy Barons and undergrad, I also had another influential teacher, Alicia Tchaikovsky. I took her um life drawing classes so basically from her class for probably the next 20 25 years and, and almost a kind of tunnel vision fashion I, I i did nothing but draw the figure i used to draw people on on the bus in bars nightclubs i was constantly filling up sketchbooks and and was usually mostly all about the figure i didn't explore um, still life all that much or the landscape either and in a very you might say very naive way and i remember lucian freud mentioned this in an earlier interview he he talked about the about the naivete of of drawing a figure or a head and wanting it to speak um speak back to the maker so i i definitely had that pygmalion thing happening for decades where i i, I just drew the figure um copied just lots of drawings and paintings um give you an idea about this david you know i did my undergrad in the early to mid 80s and as recent as 2013 i was i was still drawing the figure and nearly exclusively the figure i i might have a, a few drawings of of still life say or, or landscape but if it wasn't exclusively the figure it would be the figure in a noticeable uh, in, interior space i've uh, studied and copied numerous um freud drawings and paintings i i just i try to look for the many ways to say something or convey something through the construction and the layout of a figure to say things through the figure that obviously that changed to taking a lot of photographs the thing that's so interesting to me about that is i would imagine then you know how to compose a drawing and spending so much time investigating something like that, that's one of the things that I think is so 
interesting about your photo work is the compositions. Yeah, right. And right. I think yeah. there's got to be such a strong connection to to thinking about drawing for so long and drawing from the figure. That's key. I'm 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 not easy on myself usually with the pictures I, I take. For example, I, you know I, I won't let the expression on a face in a photograph kind of um, be the reason for the picture. You know, I, I just, I, I guess because of the drawing and painting and design background, photographs I take always have to show some sign of the compositional or structural arch- architecture. I mean, that, 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 that always has to be some, some part of the reason for the picture or, or some, some part of the photograph that anchors it down, that, that makes it valid, the um, visual content-related reasons that I've, that I've given myself or some kind of agenda that I go by you know, in the taking of and adjustment of my photographs. And so kind of continuing from that undergraduate uh, stage of of drawing and drawing and life drawing and more drawing. So how did you wind up going to Cornell and and kind of pursuing, you know, again, it's kind of a little bit of a shift um, to kind of move coast, but pursuing your MFA, was that, was that, it's such a weird thing for me to think about now because, um, it's not necessarily, I don't know, maybe it was never a logical choice for people. <laughs> I want to make art, you know. I took it because I, uh, I knew that you needed that degree to teach. And I enjoyed teaching myself art. And I, you know, I, I was a TA during graduate school. And I, during undergrad, I remember making notes to myself and giving these notes or these tips or these guides to other friends. Um, I, boy, you know, I realize it right now, but, but maybe the phenomenal experience I had with Roy being my professor, I, I, I wonder if the magic uh, that I experienced with that, if that might've influenced my decision to teach, you know, and to, attend graduate school Mm -hmm. because I was making those kind of notes that Roy would hand out in his classes. I was making them for myself, you know, and, uh, and that obviously I'm, I made them in graduate school for the students that I TA'd for that sort of thing. Again, again, to recap, I, I just, I wanted a degree that would allow me to teach. Um, I, applied to graduate school with drawings and paintings of the figure. I took a, an unusual approach to graduate study because I was admitted to programs at Boston University and the University of Chicago, and I dropped out of programs. I, th- I think just panicked and just dropped out of them. I was accepted at Cornell and 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 even in that program I I almost dropped out of that one too and until a, a close friend of mine said, Joe, you you've started this, finish it. So I I resolved to uh, finishing it. So when you were in graduate school then was it still predominantly painting and drawing then? Yes. And again, almost security blanket like attachment to the figure, you know, and I wouldn't say that I was exploring the figure all that inventively and daringly. It, you know, I mean, this attachment to the figure, um, maybe it was just all about confirming and reconfirming, confirming and reconfirming competence. You know, that, that, I mean, that, and I, I'm just realizing that now that, I mean, I I don't know that a lot of that work with the figure, drawing the figure, painting the figure, that sort of thing. Even in in undergrad and graduate, if if it had, if it really had anything to do with exploration, was more about making sure that I was competent at something. And that, how long or how far can you go with that? Mm -hmm. So I'm just realizing that now, you know. 
the thing about photography is because I'm still fairly new at it, you know, I I don't know that I have the the concern or fear of mastery and competence versus competence um, issue around that. I, I just would grab the camera and go out in the world and look, you know, and 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 respond and compose, you know, just looking, reacting, you know, that sort of thing. And I dare say that that more honest genuine exploration might have been occurring in that medium than in drawing. I, I was more exploratory in drawing. I was more familiar with that medium than painting. Painting, again, it was just more that, look, I can paint competently. Look, you know, I, I've got a fair grasp of the basics and I just kept repeating that over and over and over again. I when I was a, a more comfortable and more willing to explore things through drawing. I think making that distinction I, I think is really, really important. Just realizing that right now, David, might help me to go back to drawing and, and painting with maybe a different mindset. So in terms of graduate school, did did you start photography then, or is that something then that, that kind of came after that work? The way that I used photography in graduate school, and, and we're talking 1990 to 92, so it was a while ago, I used photography to take pictures of portraits of friends and of the figure and that sort of thing, and, and then I would draw or paint from those photographs. It really, in using photography to teach my students design principles, I began to explore photography a little more. And in some of the later design classes, and we're talking about uh, 2006, maybe 2007 and 8 and 9. Those years, I was actually assigning photographs to my design students. The part of the course, we would go out on the campus and take pictures, take photographs that we thought might be uh, interesting, balanced compositions. These were looked at by a hardcore, content, strong photographer. These photographs that I had my students taking, they might seem like really dry and kind of academic compositional studies using the camera. And I can understand that. The best pictures I might have or that I've taken, you know, I'm 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 hoping the images has a little bit more to it than just being a compositional study. If the design or the texture in the images is particularly strong, that might be enough justification for the photograph too. I used designed to explore pictures. And I, I, I don't know which came first. If I saw noticeable design unity in music and certain pictures, and that's what is creating a lot of the unity and visual harmony in this picture. I don't know if I saw that first and then started using photography to teach design, or I guess that's how it happened. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not really sure because early on teaching design classes, I used gouache and then acrylic. And then from there, I went to using paper collages. So a point that, that occurred to me is gradually, increasingly, I found myself taking the student's handwriting or personal mark making more and more out of the design where, you know, it's it's pretty safe to say that in most straight photography, one's quote-unquote handwriting or personal mark-making isn't in the image. So how do you wind up um, going to, to kind of make a, a new series of photos or set up like a, a project that you want or like how do you know like the beginning and the end of something then I guess I don't maybe that's a loaded question <laughs> I don't know that I approach it in terms of a predetermined project I hope 
what is kind of an innocent way. I, I see things that interest me and and I approach the photograph or the image making or taking, you know, in a, in a very um, straight way. Even the multi-layered reflection pictures are not layered in post and with uh, Photoshop or anything like that. So I, I, I enjoy seeing all of that layering and the collage and richness and complexity. I, I enjoy seeing all of that in the moment, in real time, and trying to capture it all in, in the camera. I guess I take the pictures first and then try to notice a pattern or a theme or something, and then I guess the project comes later. So I, I don't I don't know that I consciously assign a project to myself and then go out and satisfy that project with pictures, at least not consciously. I I'm, might I'm, very well be doing it unconsciously. I mean, if you want to say that the effect on me that the Phoenix Sun has, you know, if you want to say that that is my quote-unquote uh, project, then yeah, then I guess... So I'm not really tied down to one subject. Um, I will say that maybe one of the subjects that is kind of gradually coming out of this are these self-portraits. You know, I'm taking pictures of myself, and I mean, almost in all of those images, my reflected self is either masked or interrupted, occluded, or, or something. I, I'm I'm able to see out and record my reflection, but I'm not allowing the viewer to be able to see me, or at least all of me. So I think I've started more seriously taking pictures around 2013. So, you know, in the last three years, maybe those occluded, the seer not being seen self-portrait, that might be one of the more overt projects. But other than that, uh, running errands, you know, I, I see something or taking the bike out. I will say that early on, the pictures just kind of happened. You know, I would be in a, in a place and happen to have the camera, you know, and I would take the picture and the picture ended up, you know, looking okay. A few times I witnessed a scene that was really, really amazing and remarkable, and I and I didn't have the camera on me. <laughs> so it it only took a couple of those um, instances where now every time I leave the house, I mean almost every single time I leave, I always have that camera around my neck. I don't want to miss those moments anymore. Well, and I think it could be kind of interesting to maybe kind of talk about um, some specific pieces and um, maybe think about just some of the differences in the decision-making to, I don't know, again, maybe hopefully inform some people. Okay. It's such a grand goal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for example, in the, in the Phoenix series, so one of the first images, or I believe the first image is called between stores from 2013. And so it strikes me again, like it, you know, like in terms of like a symmetrical composition, you know, one wall is kind of mirrored with the other wall. There's these kind of really bright, kind of colorful, stucco-looking houses and really kind of colorful shadows. Right. And then, you know, like maybe a bunch of photographs later, I'll say like a, a photograph like Mover in this, you know, rich black and white. Yeah, yeah, right. And then the format is, you know, slightly longer. So I'm curious then, is it all about kind of trying to see what fits fits that moment um, or that experience or is it like a conscious decision to be like I'm going to take black and white photographs today versus color? For the most part, the decision to go to grayscale, that usually happens after the fact. I'm trying to think or remember if there are times where I went out and just thought only in terms of black and white. There is a, a more recent image, picture of a kind of a close-up of a cactus. In its final realization, it's black and white. It's grayscale, but I don't remember while looking at it in the viewfinder while taking the picture. I, I don't honestly 
think that I, I was intending that image to be grayscale. And that decision comes from my deciding if the color has a voice in the image. Is the color merely serving as description or is there a theme possibly to the color? Is it communicating anything? If it isn't, you know, or, you know, if it's confusing or muddling, perhaps some strength that might be in the image, then I'll take the color out and see if there's still a voice or some relationships in the photograph that will affect the viewer or have some kind of impact on the viewer. Kind of getting back to this idea of composition, I'm curious then, so is that one of the one of the things that you'll be doing on the spot in terms of maybe like adjusting the, the frame rate ratio? Um, or is that something that kind of comes in post? Because like one of the photos that I absolutely love is this, it kind of looks like this 50s car um, with this really unusual tree in front of a, a house that has kind of like these green repeated forms. And this is from the Surfaces series. There's almost enough room for this this really unusually mushroom-shaped tree, but it's just cropped in enough that it starts to kind of almost flatten it out. Right, right. And so I think, again, kind of going back to what you're talking about, I'm wondering then if, if you know, again, that's something that's kind of done on the spot in terms of how they're cropped, or if that's something that happens after you're kind of maybe figuring out the potential for them. I will mention my friend and filmmaker, John Jost, he saw some promise in my early pictures and uh, encouraged me. And it was only after some of his feedback, actually some revisions that he made to my, my uh, photographs, that he made me be more aware of how lines or shapes are aligning or not aligning. So he made those adjustments in post, and that helped me to be aware of composition, alignment, um, shape or line continuity and that sort of thing. I became more aware of that in the moment while I was taking the uh, picture. I will mention for as long in the last three, four years, I, I do, I've not been holding the camera up to my eye. I always have the camera held away and I'm looking at the LCD screen. There are a fair number of pictures in all of my books where I captured an image, composed it in a way that I wouldn't have been able to compose it if the way that I interfaced with the camera was only by pressing it against my eye. Actually, I think I've got two pictures of my son in the pool swimming, and both of those pictures were caught with me holding the camera at arm's length, holding it over the pool. I mean, I could angle the viewfinder so that I was still able to see what I was framing or composing, but I, I certainly wasn't holding the camera against my eye. I'm not sure why one would limit oneself you know, in the composing or the organization of an image in a photograph by only holding the camera up to you. I mean, I, I realize that you can bend down, crouch down, you can um, stand on a chair just to get alternate views. But if during that you're still only holding the camera against your eye, I don't I just find that kind of limiting. And you know what, David, maybe I'm not conditioned by the camera against the eye because I, I don't have a lot of old school film experience. Mm -hmm. I'm largely a product of the digital photography age where people are looking at screens. Most of the compositions occur in the moment uh, in camera, especially a, a lot of those layered cell portraits that involve reflections. Oh, yeah. A minute ago, you were just mentioning the, the picture that you took of your son. I'm, I'm assuming this might be the, the baptism photo from 2014, which, again, is just such a gorgeous image, you know, in terms of, of color schemes and even some of the texture of the water and 
but again, there's still like almost like an abstract quality to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not all of them, but right. some of them. And so, I mean, does that kind of go back to those maybe surrealist uh, ideas that you were kind of talking about, you know, maybe earlier in, in the interview, mm-hmm. you know? Because there's, I don't know, or is that just a design thing that you're... Well, if surrealism, if that's supposed to talk mostly about the the subconscious, well, that kind of gets me off the hook then, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't address that consciously. For me, it's about about design, yeah. I'm assuming that you're referring to the photograph of my son. He's in the pool and his body is forming kind of an S-curve. Mm-hmm. That one, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that one, there seemed to be an economy to it, a uh, unity, a purpose maybe, or a beauty to it that separated it from the other 49 pictures that I took of my boy in the pool, you know. The other ones seemed to be more about documenting what was there, and there was no... No other element, no design element, no no other element to take it out of just the realm of documentation. You mentioned earlier about a picture seeming, it seemed flat to you. That, I, you know, come to think of it, that might be another quote-unquote project I'm either consciously or unconsciously working on, where I want them to also talk about the flatness of the image. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, has been explored in paintings for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I wonder if the initial photographic artifacts or if that impulse talks about flatness or only capturing this object that you're looking at. I'm not really sure, but I like a a lot of my pictures to to have a, a... dual awareness or acknowledgement of of the scene and the objects captured and then that flat reality that none of us who are making two-dimensional art, you know, can really get away from. I was going to ask you, in terms of the figures that are in, in your photos, are they always family members or are they... Also strangers. Both. Recently, I was moved to take a picture of this stranger, and I saw her from afar, actually. I was driving, and this older woman was in her car on the passenger side. She had the passenger side door open, and her head was leaning out, and and it looked like she was staring right into the Phoenix sun. It looked um, something out of out of Hopper, say, and but I can't be certain if that's what I saw or that's what I imagined I saw while I was driving. You know, I observed that, and then I, I I usually drive for maybe a half a block more as it's as I'm imagining it or kind of elaborating it in my head, and then and then I have to decide. Well, you know, what are you going to do, Joey? You've got this one time to get this image down. So at, at that point, I turned the car around and I, I turned, turned around. I approached this poor, you know, this poor terrified stranger, you know, and I asked her if I could, t- and I, I asked her to, she, she obviously was no longer in that um, position. So that was one of the rare pictures that, that I kind of had to um, recreate. I mean, I, I don't know that it's only family members, but I did take a picture of my wife. I was standing between two rooms, actually, my son's room on the left and our bedroom on the right. And I saw both of them in the viewfinder. I thought, hmm, okay. I took five or six pictures. The one that I gravitated toward, I caught my just a portion of my wife's left side in the photograph. Yeah, it was, it was just interesting how her head was occluded by the doorway and I could see part of her body. So I, li- I like pictures where things aren't all explained, where it's not 
um, spoon-fed. There's some gestalt closure going on. And that goes back to Roy Barron's, too. It was through him. I don't know that I remembered about gestalt organizational principles from that class, but in succeeding years, though, I learned a, a lot from him and kept learning from him even after that class. Those gestalt organizational principles have some kind of footprint in my pictures. I know there's a lot of people out there who probably think, oh my God, this is so dry and academic and just so strictly compositional. There's no heart and soul in here. Well, it may be in a kind of Richard Diebenkorn kind of way. I'm, I'm hoping that some kind of passion or excitement can be conveyed through how I'm framing or selecting the images I choose to um, exhibit. Well, it's super random, but it makes me think of one of the first times that I dropped off a painting to a gallery that I had shipped them and, uh, you know, included an artist statement and everything. And one of the first questions that I was asked was, you know, what, what's your work about? Right, right. And I just thought, like, well, I sent the statement, you know, you didn't read the statement. <laughs> Uh -huh. so, so it just strikes me, too, that there's a level of, I don't know, wanting wanting a level of engagement with the viewer where they kind of have to piece something together. And I think that's one of the things that makes it more and more interesting to kind of keep looking, especially with the reflected um, surfaces. And I guess since I'm partial to homes and, and, and things like that, one right, of the right, ones that right. stick out to me is from uh, the Phoenix series, this um, photo renovation, which it's hard to determine if it's a interior or exterior or right. what, yeah. you know, it's just so hard to kind of place. But at the same time, I think, again, remains very active because you start kind of looking and thinking about your place and, right, right. you know, the nature of, right. of just doing that through photography. Yeah, I learned through the photographic work of Saul Leiter. I, I learned from him maybe that photographs can be about the process of looking and perception and kind of figuring out where you are in relation to things. Having that be part of the subject or the content of the picture, you know, as opposed to photographic document of something and, and just, and to just leave it at that. I like the pictures to be kind of a puzzle. Just by having that level of engagement and, and looking, it kind of reveals something to you. And I think that sometimes it can become so force fed, you know, to kind of have an agenda you know, yeah, and yeah. I think that there's a level of like, again, like, I mean, you know, just knowing when these are made and, and where these are made and how they're made, you know, might act as a way to reflect for the viewer. Yeah, there's a, a hardness. There's a rigor about photography, at least the quote unquote um, straight way in which I practice it, having to knock heads with the real world, you know, that comes in through the lens for the last three years I've been interested in doing that. There are times where I miss drawing and painting where I can I can add things or remove things. I'm I'm still trying to find that house that only has the right amount of windows in it, you know, to make an interesting picture. But but in the straight way that I I choose to practice Photography, I, I, I have to deal with the world as is. Now, mind you, you know, I'll change my vantage point. I'm not going to limit myself by holding the camera only against my face. I'll hold the camera wherever I need to that will make an interesting uh, picture. You know, I'll see some houses, but they won't have the visual poetry that I'm after. So Photography sometimes seems like finding a really nice stone or a shell on the beach where you're happening upon it. Like, oh, wow. Whereas in the, in the drawing and painting studio, you have the liberty to create or invent that marvelous thing. Well, again, I'm knocking heads with the world as it is. 
I realize I can add things or remove things. And I mean, every now and then I will, or in, it's a matter of degree. I'll, I'll change the contrast or the overall value in a picture, or there might be one distracting element, a small element that I'll, I'll uh, remove in Photoshop. I'm certainly not a purist here, but I'll also play with the color temperature Basically, the value or color tenor of the picture, I'll, I'll play with that, obviously, for expressive purposes, you know, that sort of thing. I've, I've got an uncertain view or relationship with photography, you know, and yet at the same time, it's not so alien or so so out there that I'm doing full-blown photo collages, which... They're obviously their own art form. That kind of moves over into drawing and painting. I don't know if we were to create this spectrum or continuum of documentation versus painting, say, you know, I think most of my pictures lean toward the documentation end of the spectrum. I took inspiration from that quote by photographer Todd Heido. And he claimed that he he captures his images like a documentarian. He processes them, develops them like a painter. So there's that documentarian mindset and the mindset of a painter. And I think both of them can coexist. I practice both of them, but most of it is document. I document in a way where I hope the image isn't too easily digestible, you know, and understandable. I, you know, again, those, those marvelous pictures taken by Saul Leiter in the 50s where he's cropping things and just creating wonderful color, shape, texture, relationships and the pictures are not only about straight or obvious documentation. Maybe a banal question I was going to ask you. Um, what kind of camera do you have? In 010, I got a smaller sensor camera. It's an APS-C-sized sensor camera, the Fuji X100. And then last March, actually March of 16, I graduated to a digital full-frame sensor camera where the sensor is the size of a 35 millimeter frame of film. And you get more dynamic range with that, more detail, a potentially shallower depth of field. In a couple more months, I will have had that a year. Already I have my eye on a medium format digital camera. It's got an even larger sensor with that. I hope to gather up the funds to acquire a medium format camera. And that might serve me because, you know, I, I if you look through my books and website and and my photo albums on Facebook, I, I don't get a lot of action images, you know. They're fairly staid and deliberately composed images. You know, uh, gosh, I also love the accidents that happen, too. Those are, are really thrilling too yeah and again you're just kind of mentioning obviously your your website um again your books are available there as well you can find links for that but i i also noticed that you'll be uh teaching a, a photography course in italy is that right yeah well i mean i was in, in invited to teach that class in, in july i hope i can find at least eight students and it'll be a wonderful experience i'm also uh, scheduled to teach a photography class at the Scottsdale, Arizona Artists School. That'll be sometime in October. Again, it's so interesting to think about you from this lineage kind of standpoint, you know, in terms of, but, you know, to be predominantly using uh, drawing and painting for so long and then to kind of like, I don't know, uncover this new medium and then also to kind of I don't know, just see the way that it maybe has changed the way that you're, you, everything is, is kind of um, created. If and when I go back to drawing and painting, I wonder if it will have an effect or no effect. If I'll just go back to drawing and painting to 
reaffirm competence, and that's really not going to lead me anywhere. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know what pictures I'll be taking. You know, if if I'll just be reiterating things or refining ways of seeing that I'm doing now. I started a drawing textbook a couple of years ago, and I, I really need to finish that. So I might be going on a on a partial, say, hiatus of photography to just to buckle down and finish this drawing textbook. Yeah, that's very exciting. When when do you have a goal in mind or like? <laughs> yeah, gosh. <laughs> well, the the. It's written. I need to do some text edits on it, do some reorganization of parts to it. I need to add a glossary to it and then um, draw diagrams for it and invite other artists to include samples of their drawings in the book, too. Well, that's super exciting. And again, I'm, I'm sure we'll keep you uh, pretty busy <laughs> in the year coming. Again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk with me about your work. Again, it's really been interesting to to be able to hear your thoughts and then also to, to kind of peruse at the same time and, and to kind of really put all these pieces together after seeing the work so long and um, trying to coordinate this. So again, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, David. Thank you. Thanks once again to Joe for joining me. Of course, you can check out his artwork at josephpodlesnik.com. You can find his books there as well, so you might want to check that out. Of course, if you are interested, he's teaching a course this summer called Seeing Digital Photography in the Italian Landscape, and it runs July 10th through the 24th, and that's at the JSS in Civita in the Italian countryside. Sounds like a wonderful couple of weeks to spend this summer, so check it out. If you like today's podcast, I want to encourage you to check out some of the other ones. Again, we've got plenty up on studiobreak.com. Again, each have images, links, and these wonderful interviews, so check them out. You can also click that iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast there. Again, we would appreciate any comments and feedback in iTunes as it generally helps with visibility and grab more listeners. Of course, you can also help by uh, sharing the word, so please spread the word via social media. Again, we do have a Facebook page, so you can like that there and, of course, uh, contribute if you'd like. Once again, we have a Tumblr account. That's studio-break.tumblr. And last but not least, you can send all of your tweets, all of your art, all of your comments to at Studio Break on Twitter. Uh, again, it's always great to hear from folks and artists, so please say hello. I do want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork, his music, his performance-based work, everything at skylarmail.net. And if you want to see some of my paintings, you can visit davidlinaway.com and see some of my work there as well. I thank you once again for listening. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and we'll talk to you real soon.